Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the one-stop shop where you can find out everything that happened this week that really probably shouldn't have, at least we wish it hadn't, but hey, it did, and we're stuck with it. I'm Kevin Barrett with Kat McGuire. How are you doing, Kat? I'm doing very well, Kevin. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, it's good to have you. Uh, I don't know if we want to be like sharing our personal plan stuff and, or not. Should we do that later or sooner? Yeah, sure, if we have time. Okay. Well, uh, so if you watch this show all the way through to the end, maybe you'll find out uh, the secret plans that Kevin and Kat are hatching. Uh, yeah, but DHS, nothing terroristic or anything like that. Okay, so <laughs> let's share our screen. Uh, we're already sharing probably with DHS without wanting to, but now let's deliberately share our screen with all of our viewers. And here we are at the theme slide of today's show. Uh, looks like the admissions that we have lost in Ukraine and in occupied Palestine uh, pretty much happened this week, although they may flee the battlefield forward, flee forward, <laughs> rather than flee backwards as we wish they would. Anyway, uh, so here's our slide of the week. And now here's, uh, oh yeah, this you just sent this cat, a very accurate cartoon. <laughs> yeah, speaks uh, volumes. It certainly does. Yeah, for some reason they can't seem to find uh, enough chump change for Zelensky, but there's always more than enough uh, more than chump change for uh, uh, for you know who. All right, move on. Moving on to the music video of the week. This has uh, become an ever popular feature, so let's go ahead and play the. Oh wait, 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 wait! I can't do that. I have to stop the share because I think I, I didn't uh, I didn't do the uh, the sound thing. I have to do a special sound thing so everybody can hear the sound. So here we go to make sure everybody can hear the sound. Come on, where's the special? secret button there it is so we share the sound and we're back in our slideshow and here we are at the video and here's the video music video of that's not it this is the music video of the week what have i done to deserve such a fate i realize i have left it too late so it's true, pride comes before a fall. I'm telling you so that you won't lose all. I'm a loser, and I lost someone who's near to me. I'm a loser, and I'm not what I appear to be. Well, I'm not sure we're we're really supposed to be like stealing the Beatles music without authorization, but but actually John uh, from the Afterlife did uh, did authorize us. So that's our music video for the week. And uh, let's see, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I consider it a, not a copyright violation because it's been turned into a new artwork. And I'm also invoking the parody uh, exception to copyright law. And so hopefully they won't nuke our show for that. Uh, I probably should have kept my mouth shut, not even mentioned the fact that we uh, stole a little bit of Beatles music for our show. But anyway, here, here's uh, the... Yeah, we already did that. Okay, into the PSAs, let's ask for money. Give us money so we can defend ourselves against the upcoming lawsuit uh, for copyright infringement that undoubtedly will feature Alan Dershowitz. Uh, he wants to get even with us, and you'll find out why when you watch the rest of the show. So to contribute to our legal expenses, go to truthjihad.com, and it takes you to Iceland, and that will lead you to a place where you can follow the red arrow and click on False Flag Weekly News. Here you are at the listing for today's show. And number zero is our fundraiser. So there we are at number zero. And hopefully it's not still at zero. Uh, all right. So here we are with our, our actual story. Um, what, what is this? Oh, this is our PSA for American Free Press. This is the front page story of the brand new American Free Press and you can subscribe and get a print edition. It is a really good paper. And I think the people who tend to agree with you, Kat, would like it. The people who tend to agree with me, Kat, you know, they're they're kind of exactly on our wavelength, maybe kind of in between us. Uh, really, really good material. And you can take the print copies and leave them in frequented places like cafes and uh, barbershops, if anybody goes to barbershops anymore. And this was my article from the New American Free Press. Uh, where else can I uh, be taking a pro-Hamas position in a patriotic American newspaper except for American Free Press? Shout out to American Free Press. <laughs> All right, let's get into our breaking news, cat. So what's breaking today? Dershowitz is going to keep his underwear on and defend Bibi Netanyahu <laughs> against genocide charges. Cat, is, uh, is there, is, did Dersh and Bibi have a, a proverbial chance in hell? 
Well, perhaps he's an incredibly creative trickster lawyer. I wouldn't put it past him to go for ontological uproar by using this argument for the defense. The devil made us do it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't accept that, you're anti-Semitic. Okay, so uh, this, the, the big story, of course, is South Africa is taking Israel to the world court and prosecuting Israel for genocide, which is the least you can say about murdering 30,000 or so people, about 23 or 4,000 so far have been identified, and the other six or 7,000 are still rotting underneath the rubble. Uh, or dying slowly and painfully underneath the rubble. You know, so these bastards obviously need to be prosecuted, and really worse. Uh, but here's uh, our favorite Jeffrey Epstein client, Alan Dershowitz, on the list of lawyers to defend Israel against genocide. I guess he's going to probably start a charity called uh, Pedophiles for Genocide. Uh, <laughs> think he can raise money with that? Uh, yeah, I think there are plenty of uh, fellow <laughs> brethren who um, are in on it. And uh, yeah, it's like their own club that they would be supporting. Okay, a 501c3, Pedophiles for Genocide, chaired by Alan Dershowitz. Uh, so admitting defeat is our theme here. Remember, they're, they're uh, basically, this is the week that both the U.S. Empire and the Zionists uh, essentially admitted that they're losing. And here's, here's The Economist, the Rothschild flagship publication calling for Netanyahu to be sacked and admitting that he's botched the war, i.e. Israel is losing. Uh, that's fairly serious, isn't it, Kat? Yeah, and I think Bibi is going to have to join ranks with Zelensky. Um, so the question sure, is, will they it. be... Well, or will they be given gated uh, retreats in Miami or bayoneted up the butt in Kiev and Tel Aviv? Uh, I vote for the latter. Uh, <laughs> another admission of defeat. Israel is pulling out of Gaza. Well, they're pulling a lot of their troops out of Gaza. That's the good news. The bad news is they may be moving them over to the Lebanese border on the north. What do you think, Kat? Um, well, yeah, they're gunning for that, too. They claim that U.S. pressure is making them do it. Well, U.S. pressure, my ass. There is no U.S. pressure because the U.S. is Zog. Zionists are running uh, the U.S. in collaboration with their fellow Zionists who are running Israel. And they iron out their strategies together. And the U.S. Zios ultimately pull rank because they control the U.S. Treasury and the U.S. military. But they constantly all have to deal with Bibi's addiction to going rogue. Um, anyway, their strategy now is how to best retreat with their tail between the legs and um, due to the fact that they own um, almost all the media, they're able to accomplish this PR portion of the war. Uh, but the Zionists haven't quite caught up because they're believing their own BS. So unlike with Ukraine, where they fooled a lot of the people a lot of the time, even the world's most savvy PR people can't gaslight a genocide. So a lot of their press is about trying to convince their own people that Israel is in control. And of course, absolutely no one outside the Western world believes a word coming from the IDL media or the diaspora Jewish media. Okay, I agree with pretty much all of that. But The Economist, the Rothschild sort of European American liberal Zionist publication calling for Netanyahu to be sacked, maybe on a slightly different wavelength, from Bibi himself and his psychotic uh, exterminationist partners. So there could be a split going on here. Uh, and over at the cradle, uh, Hassan Ilyik suggests that it could be, a well, Bibi wants it to be a prelude to all-out regional war, which would allow for the uh, a lot more ethnic cleansing of Palestine. Uh, that's their game plan. But of course, the Rothschilds uh, and their faction realize how disastrous that would be, both you know for Western power and ultimately for Israel. So I, again, I think there's a factional dispute here. Uh, do you, but but uh, do, do you think that they are going to flee forward if they can, or uh, do you think that the anti-BB forces can hold them back? Oh, I think they're definitely going to try to flee forward as much as they can get away with. But at some point. Um, the adults in the room, the uh, Black Rocks of the world, um, are going to put a stop on it because they don't want to ruin all of their prospects. But um, Bibi um, is throwing um, a major temper tantrum and is creating uh, quite a bit of harm that the entire Jewish people are never going to be able to come out from under, I, I, I think, ever, that their name has been so blighted at this point. That's true. Yeah, all, all of the... Uh, anti-Semitism 
uproar and fury and, and paranoia and stuff suddenly takes on a different kind of aspect when there's this genocide being done and you know by the Jewish state. Uh, well, there's chaos in Israel right now between you know, the, the Rothschild liberal Zionist Supreme Court and uh, Netanyahu and his extremist ultra genocidalist minions. Uh, they, the Supreme Court just struck down the law that basically gave uh, Netanyahu's government the right to do anything they wanted without ju judicial review. Well, the judiciary says no to that, and it's coming to a head. Uh, where do, where's it going to go from here, Kat? Well, it's great that the people have been protesting against uh, Bibi's um, attempt to instill some kind of uh, right-wing dictatorship with no limits of judicial oversight. Um, so bully for the Israelis that uh, Israeli people that they are protesting for democracy because meanwhile here in the U.S. every one of our institutions is in more of a Zionist chokehold than anything that Netanyahu is trying to pull off in Israel. So how is it that the genocidal apartheid state of Israel has a stronger movement for democracy than we here in the U.S. have? We're supposedly the beacon of democracy. So um, bully for the Israelis that they're fighting their corrupt monsters. And um, unfortunately, the Zionists have conquered us largely with propaganda, PR and advertising, worming their way into our psyches and undermining us with myths of invincible democracy and American exceptionalism. Every one of our institutions has now been taken over by BB clones, which almost nobody can see, and those who do are afraid to speak out. So when are we going to be as enlightened as the Israeli people? Yeah, and when will our media, uh, controlled by so-called liberal Zionists, just like theirs, much of theirs is, when will it feel as free as, say, Haaretz is to uh, occasionally call it the way uh, some uh, a non-psychotic person sees it? I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, the New York Times... Is, is more uh, Zionist than Haaretz, uh, which is the most prestigious newspaper in Israel. Anyway, uh, here's another sign that they've lost and that they know it and they're surrendering. The U.S. is bringing the Gerald R. Ford back from the Middle East. Uh, appropriately, it's named after the president who's famous for tripping over his own feet on the golf course. Uh, hopefully, it won't trip over its own feet too often on the way home. Uh, I think they should pull all their other ships home, too. What do you think, Ken? Absolutely. The best quote for this one was the U.S. Department of Defense said, quote, unquote, we have nothing to announce today. Talk about utter defeat. These uh, their their spinmeisters couldn't even cobble together a lame excuse for why they're ducking out with their tail between their legs and leaving Israel to hang in the wind. Well, it does look like uh, maybe the so-called you know Biden, which really means the minion around Biden, that you know a bunch of liberal Jews, uh, but not very liberal, frankly, very hard to distinguish them from the neocons. But anybody with a any strategic sense sees that this is going nowhere the way they're they're going now. So they may have just decided to tell Netanyahu, "Okay, you're on your own, buddy." Uh, it may very well be a message. Uh, again, another admission of defeat. And Ukraine, of course, is also another theater of defeat, and they admitted it this week. Uh, Michael Malouf, the uh, former, uh, what was he, po senior po security policy analyst uh, for the Secretary of Defense, namely Paul Wolfowitz. In other words, uh, Malouf is an ex-neocon, and I, I believe he's sincere in seeing the error of his former neocon ways. I, I met him in person in Iran and got to know him a little bit, and he came on my radio show later. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay with Michael Maloof at this point. Some folks don't really believe that he's changed. I think he has. And he, anyway, here he is admitting that there's no stomach for it. And he's just the only guy who's willing to tell the truth about this. Everybody in Washington would tell you that there's no more stomach for Ukraine if you could catch them at a moment when they were telling the truth. Right. Um, to have no stomach means you don't have the courage or determination to face something unpleasant. And it can't be the cost of this war that the U.S. has no stomach to face because we're about to mindlessly bankroll Israel's expensive um, greater Eretz pipe dreams. What I think Americans have no stomach for is the accountability for buying into all that blue-yellow journalism or the accountability for our dissent into war hysteria over Ukraine. We don't have a stomach for the accountability for burning through billion dollar weaponry like drunken sailors. Um, the accountability of an epic disastrous defeat 
That's what Americans have no stomach for. It's easier to shift gears to the next big thing, like how we got zogged and segued from COVID to Ukraine. Remember that one? Yeah, they sure did take us from one crisis to another, didn't they? Well, there's there's no stomach, uh, supposedly, for continuing to throw vast piles of money at Ukraine, but certainly there's plenty of stomach for uh, Netanyahu. Um, and I can see why Zelensky would be unhappy about that. It's it's just not fair, Zelensky. I mean, you know, they're they're both uh, <laughs> kind of similar in a lot of respects. Those two guys, uh, you know, both uh, kind of swindling, greedy. Uh, we won't mention their ethnicity and their allegiance and that sort of thing. Uh, hanging around with the worst of the uh, Zionist billionaires, but now we still got money for BB, but nothing for Zelensky. Oh, well, he can go back to playing piano, I guess. Uh, he's going to have to find another job one way or another. Okay, let's move on to the state terrorism okay. section. Uh, we had a terrible case of almost certainly it's state terrorism this week in Iran, uh, where uh, about 80-plus people, they say 84 in the New York Times, died at the tomb of uh, Qasem Soleimani on the anniversary of his martyrdom. So now we have more martyrs. That's supposed to discourage Iran. Now, to my mind, this is part of the BB faction fleeing forward. They see the Americans pulled out the aircraft carrier. They see the writing on the wall. The economist has called for Netanyahu's head. And man, we we only we don't have much time left to start a big regional war. Let's get it going. And so they sent ISIS. They, you know, ISIS. Who is ISIS? Uh, the so-called Islamic State is, of course, neither Islamic nor state. It was created at the American military base, probably by people like John Israel, the guy who created the Abu Ghraib sex torture gulag. And the ISIS fighters were treated in Israeli hospitals. They were supported by Israel. Every time that uh, the anti-ISIS forces were getting the upper hand, the Israelis would move in and help ISIS. So when ISIS is bombing people in Iran, we know who that really is. Right. Um it's just bad enough that the Zionists murdered Soleimani, but to kill his mourners on the anniversary of his death is just such a diabolical wickedness that most humans simply can't compute. Um, these people are not really like the rest of society. They have no sense of fair conduct, respect for one's opponent, or graciousness in winning or losing. Depravity at this level will never win because only love wins out in the long run. And I don't care how they spin it. This mass murder has Zionist fingerprints all over it. They're such cowards to have to blame it on a third party. Um, ISIS is like a big puppet that the Zionist marionetteer uh, to do all their dirty work. Um, what they don't understand is that they've unleashed a global intifada in the making at this point. Okay, I can't couldn't agree more. Um, and the Iranian people are uh, certainly not going to forget this, just like they're not forgetting uh, Qasem Soleimani. And here's their mural uh, declaring hard revenge. But it will come at the time and place of their choosing. I think you sent me this image, right, Kat? Yes, I did. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Uh, and then another act of state terrorism uh, the uh, Saleh al-Aruri, uh, a Hamas leader, in fact, he's the Hamas leader, leader who's most responsible for negotiating the release of Israeli hostages from Gaza, then he gets murdered in Beirut. So once again, yeah, I mean, there's something wrong with these people, Kat. You're absolutely right. You know, there's that Israeli proverb, uh, if I don't steal it, somebody else is going to steal it. And then they also think, well, I got to kill, kill him because, you know, he might kill me someday, the uh, rise and kill first doctrine. Uh, it's, there's definitely a kind of a, a tribal psychopathy operating in these people. So now they've just killed the guy who was working to try to get their hostages released. If I were one of those hostages or their families, I would not be at all happy with the Netanyahu regime. Yeah, the, these people are just so full of overreach, poking a bear, stirring up a hornet's nest, and taunting a raging bull all at the same time. Uh, I think their glory days of rise and kill first are over uh, and they just don't know it yet. They, they just overreach um, uh, uh, on steroids. They're, they're unhinged. Yeah. And, and you know, this guy, he wasn't taking any super special security measures. He's in Beirut. He's the political guy. He's the guy who's trying to get the hostages released. So they can't, they can't seem to have any luck in Gaza. They can't get any of the senior leadership of Hamas in Gaza. 
and they're getting uh, getting their tails whipped in Gaza as the brave Hamas fighters come out of tunnels, sprint up to the Israeli tanks and uh, apply the explosives and sprint away. Uh, so if you can't win a fair fight, what do you do? Well, you go and kill the guy who's trying to get your hostages released. Now, that's another admission of defeat. It's one after another. And, and now we hear that after they're going to completely destroy Gaza and kill a huge number of the people and make it completely unlivable. And then they're going to encourage voluntary migration. And Caitlin Johnson noticed that that's kind of an oxymoron. Well, it's just such brazen bluffing of Israel to be posturing like they're going to be in a position to dictate any post-war endgame. Um, it's just another example of the Zionist art of outrageous lying, as in tell a big enough lie, because they're not going to be around. They're they're losing this. But if they just keep saying we're winning, maybe enough people will believe them. But no, who else would have the chutzpah to call a Nakba 2.0 event that they're trying to produce a humanitarian solution. Um, if any explorations are there of where to send a whole nation, it should be for Israel. Send them back to who knows where at this point. But we say uh, who and then we say who knows where, uh, you know, it gets even crazy. Okay, this is crazy enough. But then we learn that Bibi wants to send the Palestinians to Congo. Now, of all places, Kat, to send them, okay, I guess the reason would be that Congo has, is, you know, has the such a corrupt leadership that they would actually talk to Israelis about something like this. Uh, there's no other country on earth that would. That's maybe their pragmatic reason. But there's a symbolic resonance here that's quite astounding. The Congo is the site of the primordial genocide. I mean, the classic genocide was the Congo. That was the genocide of King Leopold at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the proverbial genocide that led to uh, the heart of darkness by Joseph Conrad, whose tagline is exterminate all the brutes. That then became the name of the best book ever written about genocide, uh, exterminate all the brutes by Sven Lindqvist. So sending the Palestinians to the Congo is code for uh, we are going to classically and quintessentially commit genocide. These people are shameless. Talk about chutzpah. Yeah, you just wonder what their karma is. So do they have any idea? Well, they're, they're, as Laurent Guillenot has said, they're a psychopathic people and psychopaths classically have no empathy whatsoever. They can charm you with all kinds of uh, flowery words, but inside they're just they're dead and affectless and don't care what they do. They have no principles, morals, or values. Yes, and, and this is also another admission of defeat. The Congo, I mean, seriously, yeah, they're, they're lashing out with the most insane, totally non-starting, you know, not remotely on this planet kind of stuff like this. That's, that's a sign that they, I mean, does he really think he's gonna send seven and a half million Palestinians through the Congo? I don't think so. I mean, I think that they've taught, taken leave of their senses. They're, they're losing and they can't handle losing, just like on October 7th. They lost. They lost a stand-up fight with Hamas. The best IDF units got routed. Hamas took over a string of Israeli military bases after kicking the rear ends of the very best Israeli troops. And losing in that manner was so uh, shocking to them that they've gone into this fugue state where they, they start hallucinating about all the terrible baby beheadings and rapes and all this kind of stuff that never happened. And they, they're hallucinating about sending the Palestinians to the Congo. And they've, you know, they, they've lost it and they've lost. It's all an admission that the, you know, Zionism is uh, running down. And uh, the they may take the Americans down with them too. Uh, but meanwhile, they're doing all kinds of damage, both to their own minds and to the bodies of the people of Gaza. Uh, this was a Financial Times piece on what will be la left of Gaza when the war ends. And the answer is, well, the people of Gaza and Palestinians are probably going to try, yeah, going to try and rebuild it. Uh, it's going to, it's, but it's going to be a complete and total mess. It, and people there are miserable now, and they're probably going to be physically pretty miserable for a long time. Um, and then, of course, is the Israeli mental health system is overwhelmed because, as we said, the whole country has gone completely nuts. Uh, and the psychiatrists are all fleeing because it's uh, that the living conditions and the working conditions as a psychiatrist in this insane asylum is apparently are completely over the top. So um, 
I don't know, Kat. So which, which is which is uh, suffering more damage, the uh, the bodies and uh, buildings and houses of the Palestinians or the psyches of these genocide perpetrators? Well, those poor Israelis, the PTSD, they're suffering for shooting fish in a barrel. That must be very hard. But I think uh, we have to look at um, the, the Gazans have no home and they don't have much help. Not that many people are talking about a grand marshal plan. Nothing else will work. We need a marshal plan. And who's going to uh, um, subsidize it? The yeah. Zionists have all the money in the world, so they could. But there is enough money elsewhere, especially with the Arab states, who were um, Abraham Accord traders, who are only interested in their own economic future. And they're not going to risk anything waiting to see which way the wind blows. So it's just kind of a difficult situation. Um, I think, um, I, well, I would love to see uh, when Israel loses um, at the ICC that they'd be forced to pay Gaza reparations in the form of rebuilding the land they bombed. But um, probably the most practical international solution is that multipolar thought leaders like China and Russia um, and the rest of the global South impose on anyone who wants to be part of their alliances like BRICS, um, oppose, um, uh, impose a, a contribution to create a massive fund to rebuild Palestine, because it's not going to come from the, the Zogged West. Um, so together, I think the multipolar world is, are the ones who are in the most position to help cobble together a rebuilding of um, the nation of Palestine physically right there on the beautiful Mediterranean. Well, China has a pretty good record of massive infrastructure projects. So I, I would guess the Chinese engineers uh, and know-how could probably get Gaza uh, working uh, pre pretty fast. So I think you're, you're onto something there, Kat. All right, well, uh, moving on from the war on Palestine or the genocide of Palestine, let's move on to the war on Russia. Uh, they'd like to destroy Russia, too, uh, I'm sure, if they could. But that's not happening. Uh, the admission of defeat, of course, covers that war as well. So on New Year's Eve, Putin uh, gave a scaled-back New Year's Eve address. And then, of course, the Zionists sent this, you know, uh, these what, cluster bomb-type things to kill civilians. Uh, and Russia responded with the biggest missile attack on Kiev since the war started. So it's... Uh, it's they're fleeing. I think the Ukrainians are fleeing forward here, Kat, aren't they? I mean, they're they're lashing out just like the Zionists are lashing out in their way. The Ukrainians are lashing out by going after civilians and then triggering a big Russian attack. Right. Um, both uh, Zelensky and Netanyahu's political lives, if not actual lives, are dependent on keeping uh, the war going. So they're both Ukraine and Israel are facing humiliating defeats, and the minute the war stops military trials and investigations will begin, neither of which bode well for these uh, two leaders. But um, I was very impressed with Putin's New Year's Eve address um, because clearly they've won. It's We're just at the mopping up stage. And so instead of like last year when he took the stage filled with soldiers, there were no soldiers. And instead he proclaimed 2024, the year of the family. He's telegraphing that what we need is peace. He's not seeking more war by invading Europe. He wants people to enjoy their families, their lives, which is in stark contrast to the Israelis and Zionist orchestrated war in Ukraine, where they are directly terrorist bombing civilians, decimating multi-generational families, whereas Putin is focusing on preserving families. So um, the West has portrayed his statement of we will never back down as bellicose warmongering. They failed to read the context and tone of Putin's New Year's speech. Um, he's only saying he will continue to fight for his homeland no matter what. That's aggressive defense. Indeed. And that's unfortunately what, what Russia needs at this point, it looks like. Uh, and they're going after Russia now economically. They're accelerating that. They realize they can't win militarily. So they're going to try to steal even more Russian assets. And now Russia says, well, we'll steal your assets then too. Uh, none of this is good for the U.S. empire because it runs on trust. And 
now that the trust of the world has been destroyed and nobody trusts it to um, to not steal its money, <laughs> who who wants to deal with the West? Who wants to use its monetary institutions? Let's flee the dollar. So this is all self-destructive. Right. Um, practically the entire non-Western world is fleeing as fast as they can from the petrodollar monetary system and jumping on the BRICS bandwagon. Um, it's called de-dollarization. So that is going to do atom bomb size damage to the Western financial system. Uh, Putin really doesn't even have to do anything. Just sit back and say, uh, touche. Um, and supposedly these G7 thugs want to use the stolen uh, money for Ukraine's post-war reconstruction. Um, post-war reconstruction is just a euphemism for the West to loot Ukraine for whatever else it's worth, whatever is left. Um, the U.S. acts like they need a legal veneer to legitimize its theft of Russia's $300 billion. But uh, the U.S. does dozens of acts, illegal acts, with its partner in crime Israel brazenly all over with zero legal consequences. I don't know why they're trying to justify this when they've blown up Nord Stream 2, Abu Ghraib, assassination of General Suleiman. I mean, on and on. Why are they trying to make, put put a patina of respectability on this. And um, my final comment on this is there's an article, in the article it says the UK, Canada, and Japan are helping the US move forward with this uh, plan to uh, uh, loot Ukraine, basically, um, um, with the, the funds that they get from the 300 billion. Well, who couldn't be better helped than Canada, who did world-class fleecing of their own people during the truckers convoy? Yeah, well, Canada is definitely not the kind of independent, principled power full of nice, polite people that it used to be, if it ever was. Uh, how about this article by Sergei uh, Karaganov? He says Russia's European journey is over and that the future is in the East. They're going to develop Siberia. They're going to work in ever closer partnership with Russia or with China and perhaps Iran and uh, the other the Central Asian countries. Uh, the heck with Europe. I, I don't blame him. This was a superb, sagacious interview, which expertly explains why the West is dying and Eurasia is the budding new center of world leadership. I really recommend everyone to read it to understand the tectonic shifts taking place right now, because Europe is no longer a true empire player. They have become an empire runt and uh, the vassal state um, that they have been has this vassal state has been inflicted upon them by their overlords. So now even Europe no longer has the financial or military might to play power games. And I'm just so respectful of everything he said about the direction Russians, Russia is going. They're not looking for revenge. They're not looking to lord it over now that Russia is the most mighty military on the planet. Instead, they are focusing on themselves. They're masterclass chess players. And what they're doing is he used the term purifying their elite, getting rid of corruption and purging themselves of degenerate Western elements. Um, they want to keep the best of their European heritage, which is good. They're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But um, they, the sanctions have forced them to invest in their own future and revive their authentic Russian spirit. So that frees them from the 500 years of Western dominance um, and um, they can look to peace and prosperity and thrive and, and reject the West that has now become full of anti-values, opposed to humanity, full of nihilism and intellectual and moral decay with nothing constructive to offer. Russia sees itself as saving the world for traditional humanity. And I'm all in with Russia. I think they're doing a great job. Well, I hope to meet uh, Sergei Karagamov uh, someday in Tehran, uh, next year in Tehran. That's where I always meet people like him. That's where I met Alexander Dugan, among others. Uh, and we mentioned Michael Malouf. Um, seems like all of, all the coolest people I meet, uh, I meet over in Iran, with with the, with the exception of you, Kat. Maybe we should quickly mention that, Kat, you're coming to visit us here in Morocco. Yes, I am. I'm looking forward to it. Um, tomorrow, actually. Today, I, I leave. Um, yeah, as soon as we finish over... False Flag Weekly News, Kat is flying <laughs> to Morocco to visit. So we may actually have a little little video for our uh, followers at some point on that. And so stay stay tuned for further developments. But now back to our 
our main broadcast. <laughs> okay, moving from Sergey on to Neo. Uh, to what extent was lithium fueling this Western, especially U.S.-led war on Ukraine, on Russia and Ukraine, really? Uh, turns out that the Donbass region, eastern Ukraine, is full of lithium, which is increasingly important as they're doing this transition to uh, solar and uh, batteries and such. Uh, so, Kat, it, was this really all about lithium or was it just a factor? Um, I think it's a really good point that that's uh, one of the things that has surfaced that um, this is part of the um, economic reconstruction they supposedly want to do. It's just a looting venture. Um, but you have to ask, well, why is war and the subsequent looting seemingly the only option on the table? Europe has two very possible options at this juncture. So one, they can forget net zero this and green energy that. This climate stuff is just a whole big boondoggle anyway. So put that off the table and there that saves you like trillions of dollars. Or two and or two, they can make friends with Russia again and peacefully purchase many of Russia's um, uh, riches and resources. That's what they should have done in the first place. They, since yeah. all, if there'd been no 2014 coup and they just solved the Ukraine issue by having Ukraine be permanently neutral uh, and having the best possible trade deals with both sides, Ukraine would be very well off. Europe would be doing fine, and Russia would be happy to go along with it. Russia didn't want this war. They were perfectly happy just to trade as long as Ukraine was neutral. So the uh, Europeans, the West, and, and the Ukrainians really screwed up here. Um, anyway, uh, how about Korea? That's another place that doesn't get reported on very fairly in the Western media. Here's a piece from Reuters on a threatening shift. North Korea is moving to redefine relations with the South to say that the South South Korea is no longer part of the same country. They're, up until now, they have had a policy that Korea is one country. Therefore, we you know there are certain limits to what we would ever do to so-called South Korea in a war. Uh, but now they've redefined South Korea as a separate country. I think that's actually not a good thing because Korea really should be one country and the South should admit that North Korea has a point that the North Korean leadership has always been the patriotic element in Korea and the South Korean leadership has always been the sellouts. They were the sellouts to Japan, which brutally occupied Korea. And then the US came and took over where the Japanese left off. And yeah, they're very comfortable pampered sellouts, but they're sellouts. North Korea has been principled. They were uh, the genocide victims during the Korean War. The US. Uh, killed millions and destroyed essentially every building in the country, hit them with massive germ weapons. And North Korea has, uh, sort of like Palestine, uh, soldiered on and withstood. So uh, I, I think that's, it's kind of sad that North Korea is now admitting that South Korea is a separate country. Well, um, I smelled something bad about this article from the very beginning. It just It just didn't sit well with me. And I suspected the Western uh, media viewpoint as North Korea being threatening was skewed. So I reached out to my friend, uh, Caleb Mopin. He's the founder of the Center for Political Innovation, um, because I know he's been making efforts to work on a North-South Korea unification. All these years there have been, and I think it is, is even still existing, this reunification effort where their diplomats get together. But what created this shift is um, is not from North Korea's side. Uh, North Korea is only defining their relationship with South Korea in reaction to South Korea's clarification of their position with North Korea. It's actually um, South Korea, who is highly aligned with the U.S., it was actually South Korea who put forth the revived position that a reunification with North Korea is possible only if North Korea becomes absorbed by South Korea. That's the word they use, absorbed. Well, North Korea is not about to be absorbed by anyone, especially South Korea. This is not fair and equal reunification, which they are still interested in. But based on South Korea's new interpretation of reunification, coupled with the obvious ongoing military exercises South Korea regularly does with U.S. based on North Korea being a threat, North Korea has chosen to respond in kind and likewise redefine the relationship. So bottom line, this is just more 
Western propaganda, if anyone has made a threatening shift in the relationship, it was totally South Korea. And uh, I actually knew very little about North Korea, but in um, Caleb's uh, live stream, it was very um, interesting um, his what he had to say about North Korea. The whole point of the live stream is where is North Korea going in 2024? And it became very clear to me that their path is exactly opposite the new world order values that the World Economic Forum is pushing. Um, they had a convention of the mothers um, where thousands of mothers came um, to uh, to talk about how we can improve um, having more births, uh, more children. Um, there's a lot of prosperity and positive talk, excuse me, positive talk in traditional ways that's going on in North Korea. And also I learned that um, Xi Jinping said that 2024 is going to be the year to become friends closer to North Korea. Well, bravo, I like that too. Well, no wonder North Korea is getting this uh, bad press by uh, Reuters, the usual Western media suspects. Uh, and then there's there's been plenty of uh, of interesting stuff in terms of corruption, conspiracy theories, things like that around South Korean politics, because South Korea is basically occupied by the U.S. And uh, we have an opposition leader uh, stabbed in the neck this week. I don't really know how to interpret this. What do you think, Ed? Well, my first thought was I assumed that the opposition leader was from the so-called far right, because earlier this year, there were the two attacks on a German and a Dutch so-called far right leaders. Plus, everyone, including Tucker Carlson, is predicting Trump is going to get attacked by more than just lawfare. But I well, well Kay, Donald was, Kagan basically called for his assassination in the pages of The Washington Post. Right. So is this a thing? So I, I, as I researched it, I found that my assumption was wrong because this op opposition candidate is actually left center and the current South Korean government is uh, far right. But um, interestingly, as I was researching, I discovered a whole slew of candidates who in recent years have been bodily attacked. Now, we know politicians regularly get assassinated. But who knew just being a regular political candidate is almost as physically dangerous as a window cleaner on skyscrapers. But what really got me to, to think about this is um, Webster Tarpley, who's a political analyst, um, he um, had an interesting theory. I think he wrote a book about it based on his research that in the late 1800s and early 1900s, there was a project um, undertaken um, by Prince Edward, or at least he was the, the front face for it, Queen Victoria's son, Prince Edward. Um, and the project was to assassinate any and all leaders around the world who would stand in the way of a world war. So by 1914, when World War I came, um, dozens of heads of states had already been murdered such that that war could go ahead unprotested by no major figures. So when we see one, two, many um, opposition leaders getting attacked and stabbed, it just makes me wonder, is this a, 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 a redux um, on the spiral of history from World War I to now World War III, kill off all the people who would oppose uh, World War III, and uh, you can go forward effortlessly? Interesting thoughts. Yeah, I'll, I'll maybe have to try and get Webster Tarpley back on my radio show. It's been many years. You know, he and I disagreed about COVID. He was a fanatical masker and, and vaxxer. And we disagreed a little bit about uh, about Trump and Biden. He's fanatically anti-Trump. Um, I'm not a big Trump fan either, but still, you know, and uh, so Webster's been kind of drinking the Kool-Aid and some of that stuff. But he's, he's uh, standing principally against genocide right now. So maybe it's a good time to try and bring him back. So... World records were set this week in what? Well, migrant encounters. What's a migrant encounter? It's It sounds like some kind of dating app, but no, uh, migrant encounters are when the uh, border patrol like like encounters migrants, illegal migrants down at the southern border, and it's happening at a world record pace. Um, is this the kind of world record that we want to be setting? No, we don't need people from over 150 countries illegal coming illegally coming in our country. And it's unbelievable how much free stuff they get, cell phones, medical care. Um, local hospitals are overwhelmed attending to migrants first. I recently saw something that at the border, they're getting $5,000 gift cards. 
Um, it, it bears repeating that these illegals are not political refugees fleeing for their lives. They come solely for first world sweepstakes of benefits that they have little to do with building. So when the inevitable financial crash hits in the West, they're going to be the first to suffer the consequences. But I really liked what uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy had to say um, about the fact that illegal immigrants are outpacing U.S. births. He said that the great replacement theory is not some grand right-wing conspiracy theory, but rather it's a basic statement of the Democrat Party's platform. So thank you, Vivek, for at least saying that out loud. Okay, well, he said a lot of insane things about various issues, including Palestine, but we'll we'll grant him uh, the uh, great replacement theory, I guess. Um, and apparently uh, leftist groups are setting up guerrilla camps to help with the southern border invasion. I mean, it sounds like a little bit hyperbolic language to me. However, there really are these groups. And, you know, so why would financiers like Soros and his friends want to finance these extreme left wing groups, supposedly so-called extreme left? Oh, well, because they want, you know, the big money people want a cheap labor force. It's basically a labor versus management or labor versus capital issue. The capitalists want lots and lots of migrants. And uh, working people are better off if there are not so many uh, migrants and immigrants. So, but so why would the left then be trying to bring in all kinds of replacement workers to drive wages down? Well, because it's not just that um, the left is the uh, shock troops uh, for our Zogged government. Um, we have the NGO do-gooders like Catholic Charities who are getting millions to uh, do this kind of work. But um, these kind of uh, leftist guerrilla groups um, are the more boots on the ground version. And so part of the agenda is not just cheap labor, but it's truly part of the great replacement. Um, so um, to replace white people or misogynate our country, uh, make it- well, they're replacing black big... people too. Um, yeah, but um, it's Maybe not the voting black people. But black people aren't the biggest competitors to the Zog nation. The biggest competitors are the people who basically um, are, are white people. And yeah, so but, but wait, the, the immigrants cat are, are probably competing more with working class people for jobs and black people are disproportionately working class. No, but when our um, when the demographics change and white people become a minority, then we no longer have voting power or any kind of power. And from that, um, the Zog government is going to be able to control all of these uh, working class people um, and people of color. So, it so, really so the is left wing groups are down there helping bring more and more illegal immigrants in and even handing out maps. Yeah, a very detailed maps. Um, I think all of these groups, it, Doctors Without Borders and the Red Cross and the UN, they should all be charged with aiding and abetting criminal behavior. And I actually had uh, firsthand contact with some of these leftists who are just the shock groups for the um, the ruling Zogs who uh, want to destroy our country. Um, last year, I was filming illegals camping out on the sidewalk in my neighborhood because there was a newly built shelter in Brooklyn for them, but they didn't want to go there. They wanted to stay in the nice hotel. So they were squatting on the sidewalk until some kind of decision could be come, come down. And I was filming them. And these four Antifa guys came up and accosted me and told me to stop filming the illegals, I'm uh, that they're protecting their privacy. And what they did is they opened up the Antifa carry these big black umbrellas um, four of them opened them up and surrounded me and forced me to leave. So I, I, I encountered them personally firsthand. And I live right in the thick of where a lot of these migrants are coming to New York. And so well, I, I understand there's a map. Of, they're carrying maps that show your your block. Uh, <laughs> they might as well be. Well, yeah, they, they've gotten the, the message. And um, so now the, the Eric Adams is trying to send them to New Jersey and New Jersey just said F you literally and um, forced them to go across the Hudson River back into New York. So New Jersey's not having any of this migrant stuff. OK, send them send them back to New York. Uh, uh, so more New York news. Uh, New York's uh, one of his most most notorious criminals in the history of the city, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, just he's back in the news. He's the gift that keeps on giving. And why? Well, uh, because uh, how all how many thousand pages or something worth of documents from 
the uh, court cases around Epstein's activity as a Mossad blackmailer of American leaders uh, was unsealed. And so what did we find? Well, here's the way Yahoo News uh, portrays it. And it's it, here's Clinton, here's Trump, and there's Epstein in the middle. Bill Clinton and Donald Trump appear in unsealed documents multiple times. Okay, multiple times. So uh, what does that mean? Well, this wasn't this. You have to read way down into the article to get what you can see at the bottom of the screen here, which is that Clinton's name appears 73 times and Trump's name appears four times. Talk about false equivalency. Did you notice that, Kat? Um. Yeah, plus all of these names have been out for years. I've known all of these people. What yeah. is the big surprise? Everybody know Prince Andrew is involved. Um, I, I was and let's not forget media, about Dershowitz. Yeah, well, the media is acting like all these names are new information, but I think it's poetic justice on some level that these names are being released at this point in time. Um, and Epstein is just through in the news big time because Epstein is Mossad and is Israel. And since October 7th, Israel's mask is off. Everybody sees the Zionists now for who they really are. So Epstein's sexual, financial, and political crimes are now seen consciously or subconsciously in the same vein as Israel's genocide. That's who these people are. That's and the are. world is becoming aware of it. Yeah, so absolutely. Just as well, just as Israel has zero compunction about principles, legality, or Geneva Conventions, Epstein too is a brazen example of Zionist defiance of all standards of morality. Absolutely. Well, okay. So, so if Clinton defeated Trump 74, 73 to four. That is seventy-three mentions in the Epstein papers to four for Trump. The grand winner, though, was Alan Dershowitz, who's mentioned one hundred and thirty-seven times. Uh, <laughs> Eyewitnesses, uh, he actually watched uh, underage girls being abused. He, according to wit eyewitness er, testimony that uh, he himself was partaking, uh, and he probably didn't keep his underwear on, as he insists. Uh, and how does he respond to this? Uh, he, he, he says, where are all these radical feminists when it comes to the Hamas rapes of young Jewish girls, sexual abuse, beheadings? <laughs> and of course, that, that's all total, total nonsense. But he's uh, he's on on uh, Hannity saying that uh, he's on uh, on Twitter. Uh, he's all over the place uh, attacking the radical feminists who think that he shouldn't have been molesting underage girls and watching other people molesting underage girls. Uh, they must be radical feminists to think that. And why aren't they buying into the insane Israeli propaganda about non-existent rapes in, uh, in on October 7th? Uh, that's that's chutzpah. Yeah, well, more chutzpah than that. Um, I believe Epstein never died at all, that he was exfiltrated. So um, I can see Dersh uh, bringing him forward and the two of them side by side go at it and try to tell the world that they're innocent. Well, Dersh is threatening people. He said he has a, he has a, a list of all the people who are, uh, who are pushing him. Uh, his Epstein ties. And so, I mean, you know, talk about this is enough chutzpah, but then for Israel to be uh, considering him and leaking the news, mm -hmm. it's considering him to lead its defense against genocide. Uh, now, that is real chutzpah. You know, all this ha is happening in South Africa, right? The poster child for supposed anti-racism and stuff. They're fighting South Africa. So let's just let's just send all the Palestinians to the Congo and have, uh, you know, uh, pedophile Dershowitz uh, uh, defending us in world court. Uh, they, I think they're setting new records all the time for chutzpah. I mean, how yeah. can they possibly top this? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, here's here's uh, here's our slide that we already showed you. Uh, he's he's being considered <laughs> to defend Israel against genocide, uh, and hopefully uh, he won't be uh, molesting any underage girls while he's uh, leading that defense. So uh, what do the prosecutors say about all of this misconduct? Well, let's go to our prosecutors say section, but we're going to talk about other misconduct. Uh, Ray Epps, the man at the center of a January sixth conspiracy theory. That is the guy who was inciting people to go into the Capitol and yet never seemed to have any accountability for it until finally, after like a year and a half or two of, of people harping on him, they finally went after him and now he's getting six months. So does this completely blow the whole conspiracy theory? Do we now know that Roy Epps uh, was Ray Epps was just a, an innocent Trump supporter and not an FBI agent or, or, or a plant? Oh, it, it, it's it's ridiculous how he's just gotten off the hook completely. Um, well, hundreds others are in prosecution situations going on now for three years. 
And so many people are in prison for years on lame charges. He's completely got off the hook. And even the people who um, supplied supporting information for him to get him off the hook, the court is allowing their identities to be shielded. Um, shielded. Heaven forbid the FBI outs their own field agent, which is Ray Epps. So it's it's such a miscarriage of justice. And I think the January 6th, more than anything else, shows the two uh, the double standard that's going on. And Trump, as supposed head of the insurrectionists, is the perfect example. He's got like 800 um, um, trial or 800 charges against him. Um, it, it, and then we've got Hunter Biden, the whole Biden crime family that are just um, skating off. So Epps um, is just the perfect example of this double standard of justice we're facing right now. So, Kat, you don't believe that Ray Epps is going to do six months of hard time? Um, well, he should be doing years and years. So six months. Yeah, you'll probably even get out on that. Yeah, I doubt if he'll. Even okay, so that's months. the prediction. Kat says that Epps is going to skate. Uh, we will see. Uh, we'll probably have an update on that at some point down the road, inshallah. Okay, so here's uh, the FTX uh, founder, Sam Bankman fried doesn't need another trial. Um, why not? unbelievable talking about getting to skate and just a slap on the wrist. Um, it's just outrageous that his illegal campaign finance charges were, were dropped. Um, so it, I mean, it seems that bribing with stolen money is okay if it's going to politicians. Um, it, it, it's just beyond the pale, but his uh, Jewish judge is letting him off easy, uh, claiming that there's a strong public interest for a prompt resolution, that victims don't want to wait any longer to try to collect their $10 billion that Sam Bankman-Fried stole from them. Well, if you don't have proper trials, how are you going to collect it anyway? Don't rush to judgment here. And, and this rush to move forward, I think, in part is because Bankman-Fried is currently sitting in a jail cell awaiting his prison sentence. Well, I don't know if people know, but jails are infinitely worse to be in than prison. Prison is somewhat um, more stable, has the stability of a home life because you get some benefits like a job, better recreation and health care, a permanent cell. Jails are just temporary without any benefits at all. And there's a lot of shady people coming and going. So I think part of it, he knows he's going to have to uh, spend some time. Um, his slap on the wrist is not six months, but it's comparatively speaking about that. But in any event, I think he wants to get this going ASAP so he can get in a country club prison like Elaine is. And uh, that's part of the reason for pushing this, but nobody's saying that. Okay, Bankman Fried heading for a country club prison expedited by his Jewish judge. And finally, we're at the last section of today's show, the manly men and trendly women section. So let's first start with the manly men. Uh, the manosphere manly men. That's right. The manosphere is where the manly men hang out on the internet. I'm too old to notice this stuff, but I guess I have to notice it because it's my job to talk about it on False Flag Weekly News. And I, I did notice that Gonzalo Lira is a fixture of the manosphere. So that's when I first heard the term. And it turns out the manosphere is a threat. And you know maybe this is why Gonzalo Lira is still rotting in the Ukrainian prison cell. Uh, for exercising American protected free speech rights in Ukraine, which is massively, heavily influenced by the United States, whose government could easily get Gonzalo out if it wanted to, but it doesn't. Why not? Well, because he opposed the war and uh, he's a Manosphere guy, and Manosphere is now like Al Qaeda. Who, who knew? Well, I think it has to do with feminism, but it doesn't matter. Anybody who is a dissident, they can label whatever they want. Racist, now they've got manosphere. And they've got some big bucks behind it. The DHS um, actually has a program called Targeted Violence and Terrorist Prevention. And last year, uh, Mayorkas allocated $20 million uh to redirect online traffic from manosphere commentators who oppose the woke agenda. So uh, Congress is in the throes right now of initiating impeachment trials against Mallorca. He's, he is single-handedly commandeering the destruction of America with the illegal migrant invasion. Um, so I say Congress go forward, get this Zionist out. Um, he's one of the worst fifth column traders in our country right now. Okay, well, moving from the manosphere to the tranosphere, uh, a lieutenant colonel uh, got caught 
on uh, television saying that inclusion uh, is a matter of national security. And the libs of TikTok jumped on that. And then the news article that you sent uh, jumped on that, Kat. So what do you think uh, is, is uh, having as many transsexual individuals as possible at the highest possible ranks of our military really essential to American national security? <laughs> it's the opposite of essential. Um, Israelis, depending on the U.S. military to help them fight these new wars they're gunning for, but they better think twice because the U.S. military is in worse shape than the soft, undisciplined IDF. Um, our military is in crisis because they did witch hunts against patriotic he-men, flushing them out, calling them white supremacists and domestic terrorists and paving the way for all of these um a strange new people. I think the decline of our military is a result of a social engineering project to include and promote men who have become effeminate from PCBs. PCBs are toxic endocrine disruptors in our environment. They've been known to feminize frogs. So each of these trans men is like a mini environmental disaster, a mini toxic waste site. They're a form of mutants that need mental and biological health support, not be recruited into the U.S. military where they can become drags on the system, excuse my pun. As it were. And, and then sometimes even like the heads, heads of our nuclear programs until they start stealing too much luggage. That's Sam Britton, mm -hmm. I think, was a, a famous one there. So, uh, oh, brave new world that has such people in it. Uh, let's move on to some more of the Brave New World's uh, people. And that would be the people who are being included or uh, disincluded, excluded, I guess is the old fashioned word, at Harvard. Who's being included? Who's being excluded? Well, now it looks like uh, the first female black president of Harvard, Dr. Claudine Gay, is being excluded. Why? Well, she got caught with some plagiarized sentences in some of her academic work. Okay. Uh, and why did she get caught with some plagiarized sentences in some of her academic work? Well, Let's face it, because she offended the, I mean, the Israel lobby. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, like, every, this is the elephant in the room. It doesn't seem like anybody wants to admit it. But if, you know, if she had never bothered the Israel lobby, she would obviously still have her job, wouldn't she, Kat? Um, oh, yeah. They've got um, now 50 um, acts of uh, plagiarism they found. So, um yeah, she uh, dug her own hole by being a little too honest. I actually supported her position that free speech demands context. Um, if it weren't for her unrelenting anti-white agenda, though, um, I would have supported her position of not going all in on genocide by not censoring pro-Palestinian speech. But she's just been completely uh, the, the calling out racism whenever she can and it, but it's unfortunate the whole thing became about Claudine Gay, because that's not the real issue. The real issue is wealthy Jews dictating which speech is allowed on campus and bullying college boards and presidents to enforce their Zionist views. And this is so accepted that billionaire Jews rule corporate education that when someone like Lex Wexner, Les Wexner, um, who has uh, pro-Israeli views that he wants voiced, Virtually nobody mentioned that he's Jeffrey Epstein's notorious sugar daddy. So it's it's just that bad that even Les Wexner gets a pass. Yeah, there's a pretty serious double standard there. And I thought this was pretty hilarious that, uh, Alan, you sent me this story, Kat. Uh, Alan Garber, the guy who replaced uh, uh, Claudine Gay as president of Harvard, uh, had his Wikipedia page altered mysteriously just a few minutes after it was announced that he was taking over Harvard, the reference to him being Jewish mysteriously just disappeared right off of Wikipedia. Uh, what's up with that? A, an anti-Semite might think that perhaps somebody doesn't want to emphasize the overwhelming control of the Ivy League uh, exercised by a certain ethnic faction, and that this, uh, this poor you know, Israel skeptic black woman who had been thrown out is being replaced by a member of the Jewish tribe whose Jewish state is currently committing a very Jewish genocide. Uh, that would be the anti-Semitic interpretation. However, well, uh, um, <laughs> well, okay, before we get to the other interpretation, go ahead, Kat. 
I predict Wikipedia is going to prohibit any mention of Jews anymore in their early life section. It originally was a place for Jews to boast their presence and power, but now the early life section has made it too easy to target who the bad guys are. Okay, so you know it's like putting uh, parentheses brackets around uh, people's names as to notice on Wikipedia that they happen to be Jewish. Of course, every other ethnicity or whatever will play by different rules. Well, my, here's my theory of what happened. I think that AI suddenly became sentient and it broke out and erased, started erasing Jewish identity references from Wikipedia and from the internet because it's trying to commit a cyber holocaust. Uh, at least that was my satirical suggestion. Uh, <laughs> your thoughts, Kat? I thought it was hilarious and brilliant. Everybody should read this. Um, but I want to hark back to that story of the manosphere we just covered, uh, just covered, but how um, the DHS created a targeted violence and terrorist prevention program that goes after uh, male commentators. Well, Kevin, because of you, watch the DHS now start a Goyosphere. <laughs> okay, well, I guess I'll be part of the Goyosphere, even though my mom says that my great, 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 great maternal grandmother, whatever she was, might have been Jewish. So uh, so I, I'll plead innocent and I'll hire Ellen Dershowitz as my lawyer. And let's see if they can <laughs> nail me. Okay, well, there's my satire for the week. And da -da 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 -da, that's all, folks. Uh, see you all next week. And see you, Cat McGuire, right here in beautiful Morocco uh, in just a couple of days. So until okay, then. Okay, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, Take should care. be fun. See you all next time. Inshallah. Right, bye. bye.